Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, get a Bible open in your lap to Acts chapter 19. If you need a Bible, there was one under a seat nearby you. If you don't own one, leave with that. That's our gift to you, Acts chapter 19. Uh, while you turn there, let me, uh, define, let me define a word that you, we use often, but we maybe don't think about its definition very often. And the word is disruption. A disruption is a disturbance that interrupts an event, activity, or process. A disruption is a disturbance, and it's a disturbance that interrupts, and it interrupts an event, an activity, or a process. Uh, Often when we use the word disruption, we use it in a negative sense. If we went to a show this week and the show was disrupted with something that uh, stopped the show, interrupted the show, we would talk about that disruption in a negative connotation. And because we use disruption in a negative sense most often, this next question I'm going to ask you is going to sound really odd on the surface. And the question I'm going to ask is, should Christians be disruptive people? You're like, I don't know. Should Christians be disruptive people? And you're probably going, it depends on what you mean by disruptive. Um, I bring this up because if you have your Bible open, Acts chapter 19, we're going to pick it up in verse 21. But if you have a Bible that has uh, like section headings, sub, subsection headings, um, what is the subsection heading over Verse 21, a riot in Ephesus, the riot. I'm going to answer the question that I just asked, and I'm going to kind of show you my cards right from the beginning. Should Christians be disruptive people? I believe the answer of that, and we'll explain what we mean by this throughout the sermon, is yes. Christians are a disruptive force in the hands of a living God. That subsection heading, a riot in Ephesus, we're going to learn about what sparks this riot. In fact, um, Pastor Mark, as he preached to us the events that have already happened in Ephesus, what we saw last week, um, Paul comes back there. The gospel goes forth in Ephesus. This revival sparks. It sparks and it's so powerful that um, we know, as Pastor Mark told us last week, the culture of Ephesus surrounded so much with magic and with with all this witchcraft stuff. Um, Jesus gets proclaimed. There are people meet Jesus and they just start bringing out all of their like spell books and there's a book burning, a book burning that um, the value of what was burned totals and like, anyone remember how much we're talking? Like millions of dollars worth in today's value. This revival is going on in Ephesus. God is at work. People are coming to meet Jesus. So it shouldn't be surprising to us that we see a heading over verse 21, a riot. Every city we've traveled to with Paul and his companions, the gospel goes forth, people get saved, And then like the apple cart is turned over and people get mad and people start coming, lantern pitchforks, let's get them out of town. I'm arguing in every city the gospel has gone forth, disruption has ensued. And it's not a bad thing. It is a byproduct of what happens 
when Jesus-following, gospel-proclaiming, spirit-filled people interact with a culture that doesn't exactly love Jesus-proclaiming, spirit-filled gospel people. So here's the question we're going to build all of today around. Do I have a peacefully disruptive effect on the culture around me? Now, let me tell you right from the beginning the tension we're going to walk through in this entire sermon. And let me try to like spell out this tension. Do I have a peacefully disruptive effect on the culture around me? Um, the tension we're going to feel, and let me, let me just kind of pull you all in so we can. How many of you are in here and you love confrontation? Like you love it. It's okay. You can be bold. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, you sick folks, right? Just like <laughs> love confrontation. Um, the tension you're going to face today is what we mean by peaceful disruption. How many of you, how many of you don't enjoy confrontation? Yes, this is exactly what I would expect to see. The tension you're going to feel today is, but I don't really want to be disruptive. I just kind of want to be the nice Christian person who like never stirs the pot and just, can we all just get along? That's the tension you're going to feel. And that's the tightrope I'm going to try to walk. As we look at the events of, an, of a riot, a riot, a riot sparked by the gospel going forth in Ephesus. And as we hit the rewind button to be reminded that everywhere the gospel went forth, everywhere these Jesus followers went to, the status quo of the culture of that day was overturned. And we're going to wrestle with, and you're going to leave here wrestling with. First service, like as I got done preaching, they were just like, you're going to leave here wrestling with, like what does it really mean for me to live a quietly or a peacefully disruptive life for Jesus? We're going to talk about that. Structure of this sermon so you know where we're going. We're going to walk through the whole scene of the riot. We're going to stay in the text the whole time. I'm going to comment as we go. And then we're going to pull out from the text, and I'm going to raise the question I just raised. What does it look like for us to have a peacefully, whatever that question was that I'm going to raise again. Um, and then we're going to talk about the implications of what that looks like for Christians in our world. Sound like a plan? Pray with me. Let's ask for God's help. God, help us. Lord, we devote 40 minutes a week to gathering in a room to listen to your word be preached. Lord, we do that because we believe that you call us to it, and we believe something miraculous happens in hearts as that, as that happens. We're going to read ink on a page, but Lord, this isn't just ink on a page like any other book. Your word is alive. We believe that. And we believe as it's proclaimed, as it goes forth, as it is heralded, as it is preached, Lord, in a way we can't even fully understand, you do the miracle, you, you, you breathe this word into our hearts by the power of your spirit and something changes. Lord, would something change in our hearts today? God, would you speak to us, Lord? Please, would you speak to us here? God, would you help me to preach it accurately? Would you help me to not say things that you don't say? Would you help me to say what you have said? Because we know that your spirit will use that in power in our life. Speak now, Lord, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Acts 19, verse 21. Now, after these events, the events that just happened, what's this book burning, this spell burning, and the revival going on? After these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see which city. Uh, File that, just put that in the file cabinet of your mind. Because as we turn to Acts 20 next week and walk through the 20s, Acts 20 through 28, it will be this story of how Paul is going to end up in Rome. But how Paul ends up in Rome, I think as he says it here, he has no clue how, he's at, how that all is actually going to come about. File that away. He's got his eyes set on Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose, and I need you to say out loud and read to me the next three words. Because if you don't see these next three words, you'll be like, where did he get this whole sermon today? Okay? About that time, there arose, your turn. No little disturbance concerning what? The way. Now, I love what Jesus' followers were known as in the city of Ephesus. Jesus' followers in Ephesus were called people of the way. These, these people who proclaimed that through Jesus alone there was just one way to heaven, that he was the way and the truth and the life. And in Ephesus, people, oh yeah, 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 those, those people of the way. Now, there, there has arisen no little disturbance, I'll translate, a big disturbance concerning this way, this Jesus just like we've seen in every other city. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. They're not, Demetrius. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be despised from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Demetrius is, think of him kind of as the match that is lit in a volatile, volatile environment. He's seeing what is happening. He would have heard or saw that, whoa, 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 people are leaving their old lives. They're like burning their their spell books. People are coming to Jesus, and he freaks out. Because the more people that comes to Jesus, as Jesus' followers rise, the demand for little silver shrines of Artemis goes down. He is afraid of what this is going to do in his city economically. He gathers the craftsmen. He says, hey, guys, hey, guys, you know, you know why we have our wealth, right? We make these little Artemis statues. And you know that if this Paul guy, if this gospel of Jesus keeps going forth and people come to faith in Jesus Christ, they're going to stop buying these. Just understand something here. 
There's no little disturbance because the gospel going forth has upset the economy of Ephesus. Uh, You mess with the economy, you mess with people. You mess with the amount of dollars in their wallet, you got a fight on your hands. And look at the response that the craftsmen here have in this meeting. Verse 28. When they heard this, they were, what's the word? They were enraged. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now, pause there, call a timeout with me, and I want to step to the side, and I want to make a bit of a quick application point from that verse right there, and then we're going to have to do the jump back into the story. When they heard this, they were what? They were enraged. The effects that the gospel is having has caused a group of people in a city to respond to it with anger, with rage. They are mad. It's really important that we see something here. Because as we, people of the way, do you like that? It's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? People of the way. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's an, he is the way. As we proclaim Jesus, as we proclaim the gospel, as we take biblical stands on what God's word says, at times people are going to respond with anger and with rage. Do you agree with that? The gospel, for some reason, Jesus can spark rage and anger in people. Biblical principles can spark anger and rage in the culture around us. It is so important that we understand why these guys are enraged. You tell me, why are they enraged? Loss of money. You're messing with their pocketbooks. They are enraged because they are, they are afraid. They are enraged because they are afraid. What are they afraid of? They are afraid of the loss of money. This is so important for us. When we're proclaiming Jesus to someone, when we've taken a biblical stand on something, and the response is anger, ask yourself the question, what are they afraid of? I'd encourage you, don't ask it out loud. You'll really make them mad. Ask yourself the question, what are they afraid of? What are they afraid of? What are they afraid of? Why this is so important is twofold. It helps you understand how to share the gospel with them in a way that sheds light on that fear and how Jesus can cure that fear. Second, why this is so important, it keeps you compassionate towards them. I've shared with you a few times. I'm sharing the gospel my freshman year at Wabash College with a teammate of mine. I'm telling him about the the exclusive nature of Jesus, there's only one way to the Father. He responds with anger. It gets heated. Roommates are now listening to us go on this. I step up off the futon to engage in a greater way in the heated discussion. He, as one of our offensive linemen, proceeds to launch me back onto the futon. I I barely touch it, I promise. I barely touch the futon before I'm back on my feet with my arm cocked back like this. And one of our other teammates grabbed me and kept me from decking a teammate in the face over the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. (laughs) As his anger raged, I did not ask myself, what is he afraid of in hearing this? He got angry, I got angry. 
That's not the way. They were enraged. Why were they enraged? Because they were afraid. They were afraid of the loss of money. It's a great thing to remember and keep us compassionate to people who might get angry as we proclaim the things of God. Now, time in, back to the story. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go, look at this now, Don't miss it. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. Okay, here's the scene. Um, They they gather in this, this theater in Ephesus is unreal, just like an ancient masterpiece. Huge, massive. And so the city is getting more and more in confusion. I want us to try to feel the volatile nature. It is like a gas can just waiting for a match to be thrown in it. You can feel the tension there, and people start to file into the theater. They start to come in here. They, they got two of these guys, Gaius and Aristarchus, or however you say his name, Paul's companions, and they got him in there, and more and more people are coming in. And they're shouting, and there's confusion everywhere, and Paul's like, let me at him. No, that's what it says. Anytime... A crowd had gathered. Paul's like, let me in front of them to tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the disciples are just like, no, you can't go in here. You are not going. Not only the disciples, but when Paul wished, verse 30, to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs or Asiarchs, your footnote says they're high-ranking offices of the province of Asia. He, they're like, eh, no way. You ain't going in there right now. Who were friends of him, sent him, and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another. For the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. I love that. That's so us as human beings, Right? There's a massive mob over there. Let's join them. What, 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 what's the cause? Of, I don't know. I have no idea. Just join them. So, like, they're walking in, and they're like, yeah, yeah. Why are we yelling? I don't know. Just yell, yeah. They don't even know why they're there. Now, some cried out one thing. Some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they'd come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make the Jews... Where am I? Uh, Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about how long? For two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Set your watch, okay? We're going to do it for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And just feel the energy. Like, feel how volatile this thing is. How did all this start? Well, some guys came to Ephesus and they started preaching the gospel. People started getting saved. 
And when people got saved, they started burning like their old spell books and they started leaving their old lives and they start like, of Jesus is the way, like I don't need to buy some silver Artemis statue anymore. And the whole status quo of the culture of Ephesus is being shaken here. The apple cart is being tipped over and there's a group of people who don't like it. And there's a group of people who are just like, I don't know why they don't like it, but if there's a mob and a riot, I want in on that. And this is the atmosphere right now. Now, city official is going to come in, try to bring the order back to chaos. When the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought, not, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. There are proconsuls. Let them bring these charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Now, I want you to try to make the leap with me from text to practical application. And I want to bridge that gap by asking this question again. Do I have a peacefully disruptive effect on the culture around me? Why am I asking this question? I want to say it again. Because every city that these gospel carriers of Jesus walked into, hear this, they didn't walk in with the goal. Hey, hey, Paul, what do you want to do? Do you want to go to Ephesus and just start a riot? That was never the goal. The goal was never, let's just go be confrontational for the sake of being confrontational. How many, know, how many of you know people like that, right? How many of you know if you're still, well, keep your hand off me, they're not on your Christmas card list, right? Like, this isn't the goal. They're not saying disruptive for the sake of disruptive, confrontation for the sake of confrontation. Let's go start a riot because that'll be fun. No. Every city they walk into, the goal is not to be disruptive. The goal is to honor Christ. The goal is the furthering of his name and his fame. The goal is what they just want to live lives that will proclaim Jesus and proclaim the way of God as he prescribes it. And a byproduct of that is like it totally disrupts the status quo of a culture that does not love the spread of the name and fame of Jesus. Why it's really important that we understand that the, the point of today's message is not, everyone say is not, let's go be disruptive tomorrow. Like, let's go to work and just be uber confrontational. It's not the point of today's message. <laughs> so for some of our more passionate fellows in here, like me, whose favorite verses are like, and then Jesus walked in and flipped the tables. Cool it. Cool it. That's not the point of today's message. The point of today's message is, God, my greatest goal is your highest honor. Whatever ripples effect that will cause. Here's the picture I want us to have in our head. We all know what a current is. We've sat next to a river. We've walked in a river. 
We know a current runs in a direction. As we walk through a current, you can feel the drag of the water on you. You can feel the pressure pushing against you. The point of today's message is that every culture has a current. And I don't think any of us are shocked when I say the current of our culture is flowing away from the honor and the fame of the name of Jesus Christ. So we have a decision as Jesus followers. We're going to do what our culture wants us to do and just grab an inner tube and just float on the current of wherever it's going. Or we're going to get off an inner tube and we're just going to start walking against the current. And when you walk against the current, if you look behind you, you'll have upset the flow of the current. Currents don't like to be upset. They want to flow in a direction. The point of today's message is we are not a people who are riding an inner tube on the current of our culture. We walk against the current. Paul, Paul and his companions, you never see them say, like, hey, do you want to go share the gospel in Ephesus? You know, that, that people might not love that. You never see them weighing that. They're like, yeah, God said, go and make disciples of all nations. And then he gave us his spirit that he said would give us boldness to go and proclaim that. We're on that. But Paul, people might not love that. That's for God's to work out. That is for God to work out. This is what we're after today. Why did the gospel spark a riot in a city? Why everywhere that these Christians walked into, did people like run them out of town with pitchforks and lanterns? Again, the goal isn't to get run out of work tomorrow with a pitchfork and a lantern. The goal is be biblical, honor Christ, be about his name and his fame, and don't fear if that has some disruptive ripple effects that come along with it. In fact, some of the most impactful figures of Christian history have been amazingly peacefully disruptive. Let's start with the author of the faith, Jesus. Was he disruptive or not disruptive? That's not Jesus, by the way. <laughs> That's Martin Luther. Was Jesus disruptive or not disruptive? He was disruptive. Understand this. He completely shook up the entire trajectory, not of just of Galilee, not just of his day. We measure history by before he lived and after he died. Well, we still should be. He was like the most disruptive figure, and yet he didn't walk in just like, just swinging as he went into town. Peacefully disruptive. Completely full of grace and completely full of truth. Completely loving and completely unwilling to acquiesce to anything that would not be about the glory of God. Now to this guy, Martin Luther. He walks up to a door in Wittenberg one day, and he nails these 95 theses, calling out the abuses of the Catholic Church in that age. Disruptive. It sparked the Protestant Reformation. Disruptive. 
in my argument, disruptive to the glory of God. How about this guy? If you don't recognize his picture, you'll recognize his name, William Wilberforce. Like single-handedly in the beginning took on the, the, the abolishing of the slave trade in England. And not exactly the rest of Parliament's fan favorite as he took this on. He spent like his life to abolishing the slave trade in England. And was it hard? I'm sure it was absolutely hard to not be the fan favorite amongst your peers. But here's what he, here's what he was willing to, to, to stake his life on. That he believed that every human was made in the image of God and that he was going to give his life to the fighting of that. And if people in parliament and the rest of the popular culture didn't like that, he said, let the disruption lay where it lays. I'm going to be about that. Now, to hit way closer to home, to be really maybe controversial in our culture, who recognizes this guy? Jack Phillips, Baker in Colorado. And even like right now, as I start telling some of you, are like, oh, you're really going to go there? I'm really going to go there. Unwilling to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding from all, I don't know him. I don't know how it all went down. From all I can tell, like, not hateful, not angry about it. Just saying, listen, God's given me a gift and he's called me to steward some things, this business. I'm not going to bake anything, make anything for something that God would not prescribe in his word. And he took a stand and listen, it was like a bombshell that hit our culture. Folks, I want to measure my words because I'm not always great at that. I think we have settled as American Christians to a belief that to be a Jesus follower means we're just really, really nice people. Yes, it is that. It is spirit-filled, full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It is that. Yes. Everyone say yes. But being loving, spirit-filled people doesn't mean that when confronted by things that are opposed to God, that we just stand there and shake, oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's not loving. It is not loving for us to just hop on the inner tube and ride the current of culture. We are called to be a people who walk against it, full of love and full of truth. So what does this look like this week? Because you're going, okay, I'm not Martin Luther, I'm not William Wilberforce, and I can't bake cakes. So what does this look like for us this week? You'll be sick of me prefacing it with this, but I want to preface it again. It doesn't mean the point of today's message is to go be disruptive. It means the point of today's message is to be about a life all about the glory of God through the fame of Jesus Christ spreading. So what, is that, what might that look like? One of the pillars of our church is unafraid witness. It means we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with boldness. How are we doing at that? How am I doing at that? 
And anytime the gospel goes forth, we've seen it all through the book of Acts, and we'll see it in our lives as we share the gospel with boldness. It's, it's polarizing. People are going to be like, yes, this is what my heart's longing for, and yes, I need Christ. Or they're going to go, how narrow-minded of you to claim that there would only be one way to heaven. How could you say that? What about, and what about, and what about? We're, we're called to be gospel proclaimers. No matter the disruption of the current of culture that that might have. We may live peacefully disruptive as we share the gospel. Let me get more specific. Let me speak to the Christian students in the room. Okay? Students, if you stop listening, listen again, okay? Elementary students, middle school students, high school students, college students. You may at times sit in a classroom where what your teacher is teaching or what your professor is teaching does not line up with what God teaches in his word. I want to encourage you as you're sitting there in class and you're starting to hear, wait, I don't think that's like what God would say about this. I, I, don't, I don't think that's right. You have a choice in that moment. I'd encourage you to put your hand in the air. Not to be disrespectful to your teacher or professor. They are the authority in that classroom that God has put in front of you. Not to flip the table, call them the spawn of Satan from the pit of hell, <laughs> and to run out. Not that. But to not back down from the intellectual rigor of what is actually truth. And I want to warn you of something. If you do this, some teachers or professors will respond great. And they'll say, let's talk about this. Let's seek truth. Let's understand. Others won't. They may try to get into like an intellectual bullying match with you to back you into a corner to make you feel this big and to like humiliate you in front of the rest of the class in such a way that you'll never want to challenge what's actually truth before them or not. Listen, lovingly don't back down. I didn't experience this till my undergrad. I'm sitting in a class on the historical Jesus. <laughs> and all of a sudden every week I'm being taught Everything that Jesus wasn't historically. And I'd just be sitting there like. Question? And I'd, I'd say in my 19-year-old, very, very, very small brain of mine, I don't think that's right. And then the PhD in front of me would wax eloquent and say 75% of words that I couldn't even understand make me feel this big. And then I'd go back to my dorm that night and be like, why wasn't that right? Why wasn't that right? Bible out. Um, I told you before, Lee Strobel's book, Case for Christ, kept my faith on the rails in my undergrad. 
that out, and I'd go back to class next time. Yeah, but Jesus done, you know, and talking history, talking archaeology. And he'd go, yeah, but have you thought about the uh, No. And back to my dorm I'd go, and I'd wrestle it out, and I'd come back to class. Listen, listen. That professor and I were on two totally different planets as it came to the historical Jesus. But I'll tell you something. I think he knew that I loved him, and I think he had respect for me. What I'm not saying is you go into class tomorrow in disrespect. I'm saying don't back down from what you know to be true. Amen? Parents, you got their backs? Parents, help them understand what I'm talking about, please. Like at the lunch table today, help them put into context what I'm talking about so that I don't get a phone call. You got my son suspended. Yes, suspended to the glory of God. (laughs) Adults, Christian employees. Now, I recognize most of us in the room here today work for extremely reputable, high-integrity places. I, I mean, I'm not saying I mean that. But some of us find ourselves here today and like, you know, you know, you're You're helping execute the unethical practices. You're helping cover things that aren't supposed to be covered. Um, To say that the way you're doing some things in your company as directed by the guy above you is gray is like a mild way to say it. You know it's unethical. Worse, you know it's illegal. And yet there's this culture, and it's been the culture in the company or the organization for years that you just, you don't say anything and you just... Do your work. This week. Is this week finally the week you go, I, I, can't, I can't do that anymore. Is that going to be a disruption? Yes, of course it is. Is this week the week you sit in the meeting and the, again the kind of elephant in the room, no one wants to talk about it. everyone just understands that's how it works, and no one says it's this week, the week you finally go, can we just talk about, like, how we're doing that? And everyone's going to go, oh. But for the Christian student, the Christian employee, you just go, I, I just, I just want I just want to be about the things God's about. And if that creates a ripple effect behind me, that creates a ripple effect behind me. That upsets a current. If our goal is God's greatest glory through the fame of Jesus Christ, I'm arguing today, like we see a riot sparking in a city, like we've seen in every city these Christians have walked into, that we are a peacefully disruptive force in the hands of a living God. And I believe at time a peacefully disruptive force to the glory of God. Not disruption for the sake of disruption. Disruption is a byproduct of being a people who just want to follow Jesus and make him known. It would be easier in this life to just grab the inner tube 
and ride the current that the culture is going in. It would be easier, but it wouldn't be right. God has not called us to an easy culture life. He's called us to a God-get-glory kind of life. And at times, that means we walk against the current. So two questions to close. What if we do this? What if we do this? What if we will really be about the fame in the name of Jesus Christ in such a way that we're so consumed with his glory and we're less worried about the disruption that causes? Well, if we do this, um, life at times will be hard. And... uh, We're not going to be the fan favorite at times. And, yeah. The bigger question is, what if we don't live like this? If we don't live like this, and we just grab the inner tube and ride the current of culture, how will we live out this call of being salt and light How will anyone look on the glory of God in this world if his followers are not willing to walk in a way that follows him? What if we we don't take stands for truth where God's called us to take stands for truth? Um, If we don't, like, everyone's going to be like, I like, man, I just like that guy. Like, he just never creates any rip this. It's awesome. Let me remind us that our Lord said it. You can look it up. These are the words of Jesus. Woe to you if everyone speaks well of you. The people pleaser in me doesn't like that verse. But it's true. And our desire is that for a whole congregation of people, some people might not like us here for stances of truth we've taken, They might say, woe to you here. I would rather hear, woe to you here from some mortal than I would to stand before God one day and hear, woe to you. I want for us to hear, well done on that day. Not woe to you. And at times that means loving, peaceful disruption to the glory of God. And not fearing it. Amen? Church, stand to your your feet where you're at. I think think more more so than I understood before I preached this message today, after watching the faces of first and second service, I have a greater understanding that we are trying to process what in the world it means to be disruptive Christians. I pray for you as you sit around your lunch tables today that you would process that. I pray where I was not clear today that the Spirit of God would bring great clarity. But I want to say this to us, and and this will feel heavy. I don't intend it to be. I believe why we're all kind of like, huh, is because we've just subtly, 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 as American Christians, just been lulled to sleep And before we know it, we're just on an inner tube going, this is nice, lazy river. 
And then there's just moments where we're like, wait, wait, what are we doing? I shouldn't just be flowing down with the rest of culture in this. Oh, that the Spirit of God would flip us off the tubes in our lazy rivers today. That we would see where we have been flowing and we need to get off and we need to walk against. God, would you show us that now by the power of your Spirit? Would you help us discern what this looks like in our lives? Lord, where you've given us clarity, where you've called us to take a loving stand that might create a disruption, Lord, would you give us the boldness to actually walk against the current? Lord, where we have misinterpreted a message like this and we're ready to just, we're full of anger and ready to go out and just call a teacher out or call a boss out or, or whatever it is, oh Lord, would you show us that is not your heart. Would you fill us with love and compassion and yet would we be this odd dichotomy of a people full of loving compassion who do not waver on what you have said is true. Only by your spirit can we do that. And we leave in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Harvest, we love you. You're loved, you're sent. We'll see you next Sunday.